This hour sponsored by Dell Technologies, enabling digital transformation for media workflows. is NAB Show Live. You're watching the NAB Show Live, produced by Broadcast Beats. I'm your host, Steve Wong. I'm an Emmy-winning technologist that specializes in media, telco, and technology sectors with DXC Technologies. I'm really excited to have a telecommunication leader, Ralph Jacobs, the president of Verizon Media Services. So Ralph, thank you so much for, for being with yeah. us today. So I've got to ask you, Okay. What is it like in the day in the life of an Olympic team diver? <laughs> God, it's a lifetime away. Forty <laughs> some years ago. Not everyone's an Olympian. That when I saw that, I said, "Man, I got to ask him this." Uh, it it was an amazing time. We dove against uh, Greg Louganis way back when. Oh wow! And that yeah, well, nobody could catch him back then. So. It was an amazing experience and uh, you know, a different part of my life <laughs> leading into the technology uh, sector. So. But that's part of your DNA. It's uh, once an Olympian, the, always an Olympian, right? The competitive nature of, I think, uh, any athlete um, can help in, when you become an entrepreneur and try to bring your uh, company forward. So that helped a lot, I think, you know, trying to be number one. So what, what is that? And the, the DNA of an Olympian, you know, now you're a president of a, of a large company. What, when you look back, what, what really helped you? What traits do you think went into your training, in, into that DNA of an Olympian to get you where you are today? I think it's, it is the drive to really become the best, understanding and learning from everybody else that's better than you. Uh, keeping an open mind on, you know, from an athlete perspective, you just learn from the best. And when you move, when I moved into entrepreneurship, starting my own company, I think, um, looking at what worked and what didn't work, um, sometimes what didn't work is much more valuable than um, taking you know, uh, guesses or uh, being suspicious of what you might build as a, uh, as a next product. For me, the driver had always been um, listen to what the customers are asking for, never build anything on suspicion. They will tell you what is needed and if you cater to that, you'll be successful. That's interesting. I mean, when, when people see, you know, you the president of, of Verizon, they think, oh, this guy's a big company guy all the way. But, but you mentioned, you know, you were an entrepreneur. So what was it like selling your company to a monolithic corporation as an entrepreneur? That, that's an amazing story. Nervousness. I, yeah. I mean, we started out with, you know, five engineers. Really? Um, every single one of us had a day job. So this was Skunk Works over the weekends. Wow. Um, the idea, I think, is what really helped. Um, we got lucky that we uh, got a lot of interest from Disney early on in the streaming technology that we had developed. And we built the company while everybody still had a job. A year and a half, two years into the endeavor, we realized we really have something. Mm -hmm. uh, never raised a penny. Uh, wow, uh, nice. In this endeavor. And you get to keep all the money. Yes, absolutely. I mean, you know, the engineers were happy about it, of course, and every time that we had a little bit more income in the services that we provided, we hired another engineer, and it escalated to later on a nine or ten people, and that's when Verizon approached us and said, how the heck is it possible that nine people can serve as Disney? And uh, that led to the acquisition of my company. 
Wow. So Verizon is really an interesting company because besides your company, they, they bought a few other little companies like AOL and yeah. Yahoo. Small juggernauts <laughs> out there, yeah. So, so what is that like, working in a, a big telecommunication company, but having you know these technology companies that they've acquired, it's really an interesting combination. from a fire hose. I mean, there's yeah. so much that these, these big organizations have done over the years and you know, coming from a startup, going into the enterprise world, I think this, that is the big change that everybody has to undergo and learn over the years. We've been now six years with Verizon since the acquisition. We're still learning. Um, there are different processes, different you know, uh, uh, cultures that come together. I mean, That's tough. Yahoo and AOL coming together, they in and of itself had dozens you know, uh, of companies that they acquired. And, and they hated each other, they were in at one point they did. Yeah. At one point they did, right? And when we came together, I think the, um, the trick now is to see, you know, where is there overlap, where is the overlap, putting the best pieces together, and we're well on our way on doing this. The Verizon Media Group that is now formed under Hans Westberg, one of the three pillars in his Verizon 2.0, as he calls it, as Verizon Business, Consumer, and Media, we're part of the media branch. So now tell me about Verizon Digital Media Services, the, the group that you run. So tell me the sort of services that, that you offer and the kind of business that you sure. have. At the core, we are a digital media platform. Um, we rough, you know, short time after my company, Uplink, was acquired, we acquired Edgecast. Right, which big, at big that point acquisition. Big, big CDN service yeah. provider, and the rationale behind these acquisitions was is there value when you can combine uh, a platform with the other components that are needed, such as delivery, security, and then the media platform on top of it? Mm -hmm. And uh, all of them being startups, you know, the companies that were acquired, That's we right. learned Edgecast was a startup. Too. Exactly, Edgecast was a startup. And we started very, very small. I mean, at the time that the acquisition uh, occurred, I think uh, Edgecast had a traffic capacity of roughly eight terabits per second. Today we have over 70 terabits per second of wow. capacity, which puts us into the market as um, one of the largest um, CDN service providers today. So the OTT market's changed a, a lot. You know, Netflix disrupted everything. So what is the state of the OTT services now? Is it just one big bad guy, or is there hope for other folks that, that want to launch channels? I don't think this is one big bad guy. I think a lot of people look at Netflix as the one to catch, and uh, I think you know, with the broadcast industry being as challenged as it is, you know, all the cable cutters that are going out there, what can be done in the OTT world um, that is similar to the experience that you get with television, but now smartly, i.e., when in the television industry, in the what we call OTA, over the air industry, um, nobody knew who was sitting behind the TV, right? You had uh, a humongous amount of, of uh, folks watching, 114 million households, and in the OTT world, you now learn a lot about who's actually sitting behind those devices that consume this content, right? And so I think after 80 years of doing television the old way, the new way now has to adapt uh, to uh, what can I do with all of the information that I'm actually learning about the end users. You may have location information, you may have authenticated users, so you know gender, potentially the age. Can you take advantage of that and actually uh, use it for monetization purposes to create 
add experiences that are now targeted at maybe your profile. You're interested in sports, maybe you get a Nike commercial. You're interested in cars, maybe you get a Toyota or a Lexus commercial. Those are the things we can do today that television couldn't do. But it comes not without challenges. Well, do you see um, the advertising agencies changing, or are they still waiting for the upfronts and making those big buys? Do, do you see a big change in the market there, now? There is a huge difference between traditional television ad sales and uh, the online world. Traditional, you know, the big broadcasters have sales forces. They have what's what we, you know, refer to as direct sales groups. These direct sales groups. Um, ultimately have relationships with the big CMOs and that's how the deals are done on traditional television. In the online world, a lot of it started before video became as important as it is right now by using programmatic approaches where from what you have learned through maybe cookie sniffing about the end users producing display ads um, that are targeted or you had an interest level. We all have seen this, right? You go to, let's say, an Amazon, you search for a product and you switch over to a Yahoo newsfeed, all of a sudden comes up, you know, the product that you just watched on, on, uh, on Amazon. Those are the types of scenarios we're now applying against the, the video uh, advertising that's going on. And it comes with complexity that even the broadcasters weren't quite aware of, you know, how complicated things can get. That's just in the VOD uh, uh, paradigm, right? If you go into live events, uh, the complexities just increase. It gets so much harder. Yeah, that's where it's really challenging, right? Yeah. So where, where we, I think we've carved out, carved out a little bit of a niche uh, with um, the Verizon Digital Media Services, we uh, did roughly 47,000 live events last year. 47,000? Um, 47,000. Wow. So do the math. It's I thought about, you were going to say 47 events. No, 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 no. It's wow. 47,000 live events, and that's roughly 130 events on a daily basis. And we were quite proud about this. When we set off six years ago, this wasn't necessarily a core focus. We fell into it because we uh, created, I think, very simplistic workflows for the broadcasters that allowed them to not switch from what they were doing in the typical broadcast world, i.e. we're picking up the signals unmodified the way they were sending it up to the satellites. All of the air triggers that were put in or during a live event that a technical director may induce by calling, hey, we're going into an ad break in three, two, one, and here comes the ad. We helped them build that workflow and uh, over time, it became so popular that you know more and more different broadcasters came to us and said, we want to do what they're doing, and now we're probably the go-to company in the U.S. for this. I'm sure that was a relief for them, because they didn't want to you know, build a broadcast op, and then an online op in the same building and have to worry about that. They'd rather just say, hey, Ralph, can you help us? Uh, that's, that's exactly my point. I yeah. mean, we have an, uh, a networks operations center that is now you know, a redundant coast to coast, because there's one rule in television, TV can never go black. The minute that goes black, ad dollars stop coming in, and that's the end of it. So everything that we have done, every single component that we're touching when we're receiving the signal, we're thinking in terms of, what do I have to do to make sure if this fails, what is my backup plan? And that is, you know, from signal acquisition to um, the ingest processes, the encoding processes, the ad insertion, SSAI, we're doing a lot on the server side right now uh, with ad integration, uh, to the play out. There are, every single component can fail. 
And we have, I think, somewhat mastered the way on, on how we're uh, building backup plans every step of the way that the signal flows through our uh, pipeline. Interesting. So can you tell me about some significant recent events in the OTT marketplace that, that broadcasters should probably know about? Or? Um, well, I think you know, everybody's watching what is Netflix doing next, mm -hmm. right? Um, there was an announcement on uh, uh, Apple uh, is now in entering the streaming market. Um, there is a uh, you know, company called Quibi that is going to announce at the end of this year, Disney's starting, it's That's Disney streaming one. services. You know, Quibi, very interesting uh, business model. Um, uh, if you guys don't know what this is, uh, Quibi is uh, um, Jeffrey Katzenberg's and Meg Whitman's yeah. new endeavor. My old Somebody boss, market. Yeah. yeah. Some very interesting business but models. But they raised like a billion dollars, right? Yes, yes, they raised a billion dollars, I think actually a billion two, something like that. Wow. And, They've got the creme de la creme uh, hired, you know, from J.J. Abrams to Bruckheimer to produce content about it. I'm excited because I want to see competition in this market. And Netflix sort of had everybody cornered. Now Amazon, of course, is entering it with its original content play. And, and they're entering the ad market. You see Netflix testing the market a little bit with now having promos in front, in front of their shows. Oh, that's interesting. It, well, it is, I think you will not survive the online world with either pure AVOD or pure SVOD. It will have to be a combination between the two. Um, all of the smaller guys are struggling trying to um, survive if they, you know, I know enough AVOD companies that popped up and disappeared. Yeah. you know, within a time span of two years because the business model didn't work. Content acquisition is a very, very costly endeavor. Well, the good thing is, you know, all my production friends in Hollywood are really happy because there's so many people buying content. You know, they want 10 episodes of this or, or whatever. So on the production side, it's fantastic in town. But, but I just try to think, so if you're an OTT provider and you want to start, how do you stay competitive? What, what do they need to do? Um, from an OTT provider perspective, I think scalability, you need to see you know, a, a decrease in complexity and increase in scalability. Um, if you think in terms of what traditional broadcast is today, um, you know, at any given time you have multiple millions of viewers you know, turning into uh, the primetime channels every single day. Mm -hmm. Think of what has happened in the OTT world. We're bragging about when there are concurrency levels of 1.5, 2 million concurrent connections. That is nothing in traditional television, right? Yeah. Well, so I think, one rating, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And um, if you think in terms of uh, what has to happen in the OTT space, people will have to think in terms of what happens when I have 10 million people coming into joining a particular sports event, you know, doing Super Bowl, doing uh, World Cup soccer that's around the corner for women. You know, how do I deal with that complexity? And I think the broadcast, the traditional, the old guys of, of, of doing broad, the old way of doing broadcast, they know what needed to happen. And the OTT world is still learning this. The key takeaway for us right now, what we're seeing is, um, you can't box yourself in into a proprietary technology. You need to keep an open mind, find partners that are reliable. If you're a service provider, and we call it the one neck to choke approach, mm -hmm. you need to be the one guy that actually takes the responsibility, even for the partners that you have brought into your uh, fold or into your mix of service, that 
whoever is providing the content or the event can call you. You have to handle the issues that arise right That's now. It's your SLA, right? That's right. exactly it, to the SLA. And this, you know, if you have a best of breed approach, a lot of times this doesn't work when the partners are not integrated well. Yeah. The finger pointing starts, right? And I think this, the simplicity of our platform has proven that that's, what, that's the service that the broadcasters expect. If something goes wrong, I want to call one, not 10 companies. So for an OTT or a broadcaster to be competitive, um, the folks that have been successful that you dealt with, do you find it's the technology or the organization? What, what is more important? Ooh, that's a good one. I think it's a combination of that. Um, everybody is still fishing on what's the secret sauce? What can I actually do that attracts more viewers uh, than anybody else? I think um, having a reliable operations center where you know somebody can actually pick up the phone and get somebody online um, that tells them where they are or where the issues might be, I think that is absolutely uh, um, of, of, of interest and important. Um, I think the combination between the technology that you provide that may uh, give you a differentiating market advantage is absolutely key. And then having the service layer behind it, making sure that um, the preparation that goes into, for instance, live events is actually organized. What do you do when a live event doesn't start on time, right? In the online world, what do you do? In the television world, you fly in some commercials. Well, you need to do this in the online world as well, yeah. but you may not have all of those assets prepared, right? So there's a lot of learning, I think, that went into um, building the platform that we provide over the last six years. We're, we're still learning, yeah. right? Um, and I think one of the things that could be, that is probably most attractive is um, the advertising itself has to change. New ad models need to be created, right? Be that, you know, interactive overlays that you couldn't have on television. You couldn't go to the screen and click on it, right? Yeah. Uh, you needed to go to a component uh, of, of, you know, a desktop uh, uh, or a mobile device. Well, now with connected TV, it might be the remote control that actually does this, right? Mm -hmm. So different ad models, I think, is what we're thinking about maybe utilizing AI, making it way more targeted oh, than it was ever uh, before. Um, I think AI is going to be key. Um, there's been a lot of talk about what about VR. I think actually augmented reality will be much, much more important than VR in the long run um, for the app models, but you know, we're experimenting. So I'm thinking a broadcaster's head is exploding at this point. He just sees a ton of challenges. Yeah. So how, how do you help them? How do you help a broadcaster, someone that wants to launch an OTT channel, how do you help them with these challenges? We, I mean, for us to get the foot in the door, there's always hesitation, right? Well, why would I want to put all of my eggs in one basket? I just said, you know, you shouldn't box yourself in and provide everything and then become the single point of failure. Your partnerships are important. I think for us what has helped is you start with the components that we've bundled together, right? Everybody has a requirement for a delivery service, CDN, right? What do you do with that? Well, if you can't be the only CDN, then open up your ecosystem to a multi-CDN strategy. Hmm. Just announced this a couple of days ago, okay? Where we, we want to be everywhere, but we can't be everywhere because you know, it's, it's a big planet. Yeah. And even though with this massive amount of infrastructure that we have, um, there are you know, rural areas where we may not have the right connections. So 
we've, we've offered the broadcasters the ability to um, bring their deals to us and then we do the routing on behalf of their requirements and their configurations and I think that resonated very well. That got the door open to further conversations to like what kind of a security layer can I put now over the items that are going through your system and after the security layer if it happens to be a media asset that is going on there um, uh, we are adding the media platform right and that's how I think we over time gained the trust by a lot of uh, the broadcasters today um, that are now putting you know they're using us for uh, bouncing their ideas off of it. you know what about you know um, parsing video files you know um, facial recognition can we use this now um, uh, by extracting or stra extrapolating metadata out of the video itself and passing it on to the advertisers. What can they learn about who's actually in the video? Are there certain learnings that we can gain and create algorithms that you know, really create an ad offering to that particular end user uh, that is, you know, uh, ends up being for the broadcaster of value when they can keep that um, uh, end user or that viewer engaged into the content that they're producing. Wow, the world's changing. Huh? It sure is. Yeah. So, wrapping up, what, what do you want to leave the audience with when they think of Verizon Digital Media Services? It is, I mean, we pride ourselves that we're going to continuously to uh, innovate. Um, we're ready for the fourth industrial revolution. We are part of Verizon, so we can't wait to see what we're going to be able to do with 5G. Uh, we're very close uh, with the group that is rolling this out. We're now in nice. Chicago and in Minneapolis. Congrats on that, by the way. Thank you, that was a big thing. And you know, everybody expects that low latency to be now uh, used particularly for mid, uh, video and media delivery. And we're right smack in the middle of it. So super excited for the next few years to come. Well, I'm so excited that you came on the show, Ralph. So Thanks for having thank me. you so much. Um, again, thanks very much to Ralph. We're going to wrap up right now and we're going to actually take a break and be back in a little bit. So thanks for watching NAB Show Live brought to you by Broadcast Beat. This hour sponsored by Dell Technologies, enabling digital transformation for media workflows.